Praise the Lord. So I'm going to open this up with a little story. This story dates back about 10 years ago or so. Uh, Susie and I had a Messianic rabbi and his wife over our house. And we were hosting this rabbi and his wife. And we were sharing with them a little struggle we were having. I don't even remember what the struggle was. But the rabbi said something interesting. He said, okay, here's my advice. When I came through your door, I noticed this on above your front door. And I looked above the front door and I said, yes, what is the problem? And he said, look, I don't know if this has anything to do with the problem you're having that you're sharing with me, but you have an Egyptian obelisk above your front door. I said, what? He said, you have an Egyptian obelisk over your front door. You're a child of God and you have an Egyptian obelisk over your front door. Does anybody know what an obelisk is? An obelisk is like a four-sided monument that goes high and then tapers off to like a pyramid. It was used in very ancient Egypt and even Rome to honor their gods. He said, you have one above your front door. So I, I, where? What are you talking about? So Susie used to collect little trinkets called cat's meow. A cat's meow is a little square block with a painting on it of a landmark, a famous place. For instance, with a little cat on it, a little black cat on it hidden. For instance, you may go to New York City and you can buy a little block. You know, you can put it above your door, you can put it in the, on your shelf, on your fireplace mantle, a little wooden block with a painting. So if you go to New York City, let's say, it may have a, a painting of the New York City skyline, maybe the Statue of Liberty, Empire State Building, and a little black cat. You get it? You can go to probably Fenway Park and have a painting of little little wooden block of Fenway Park with a little black cat. It's called the cat's meow. Little 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 chashka, little trinket you can keep in your house. So we Susie used to have a bunch of them on the door. So I looked at it, I was looking closely. Now Susie and I, a couple of years prior, visited Washington, DC. And we purchased a little cat's meow, mass-produced little painting of Washington, D.C. It had the Capitol building, it had the White House, and it had the Washington Monument. So I went, wait, the Washington Monument? Is that what you're talking about? He said, yeah, I don't care if it's the Washington Monument or not. It's an Egyptian obelisk. And it's got to go. So I said, okay, sure. So we took it off and we burned it. I can't tell you to this day if that action helped our situation or not. But we did it. 
This is the topic of today's message. Um, is it possible that the presence of certain things, certain objects, even certain activities in our lives that have any link to paganism, to idolatry, to the occult, any linkage, whether distant or near, is that a problem? Can it open up the door to demonic activity in our lives or in our house? Some may think that a mass-produced picture of the Washington Monument is a little far-fetched to say that's demonic. Some may say the guy was absolutely right. You're entitled to your opinion, as I am entitled to mine. The reason I'm giving this message is because this dialogue surfaced recently at Mishkan David, both in interpersonal conversations, conversations with me, and also publicly here in the service, so I figured it is worthwhile to address. Now, a mass-produced painting of the Washington Monument, you may think is a little far removed from an actual pagan entity or a pagan symbol. You may or may not. But let me give you another example of something that's a little bit closer, and this was shared to me by our own Megan Glover, as I was chatting with her recently about this topic. Megan's grandfather is an Indian chief, American Indian, Native American chief. And one of the last times she saw him, he gave her some sage to burn in her home with a seashell that he claimed amplifies prayers. Now Megan, she gave me full permission to share this. Megan did not ascribe to the statement about amplified prayers, but she did love the smell of sage. It reminded her of her childhood. So she accepted the gift. And she's like, well, he worships. He's a spiritual man, apparently, this grandfather, the Native American grandfather, but he's spiritual, false spirituality. He believes that all, you know, all roads lead to the same God, the creator. And she's, I don't ascribe to that, but I'm, you know, but I accepted the gift. So that night, after Lana went to bed, Megan lit the sage. The whole apartment filled with a strange, dark, and heavy fog. And she heard a loud screech and repeated banging coming from Lana's room from the area where her closet was. She called Nate. Nate wasn't home. She called Nate, and she stayed on the phone with him while she opened up the door and she checked out the room. She didn't find anything unusual. But yet the sound kept coming from her closet. So Nate instructed her to just read the Bible and call on the name of the Lord. So she did. And the screaming stopped. And the fog lifted and the air was clear and clean. So she immediately threw the sage and the shell out of her third floor apartment window. The Bible is clear. We need to flee from idolatry. We need to abhor idolatry, abhor paganism, and abhor the occult. And by the way, I will use those terms synonymously, idolatry, paganism, and the occult. The reason that God wants us to stay away from it is because it says in Scripture in multiple places it has the ability to ensnare us. 
The scripture uses that term, that things that are associated with the occult have the ability to ensnare us, to woo us back. Let me give an analogy. Now, I understand that Yeshua said that we are fishers of men. In using that phrase when it comes to evangelism, but I have to say there's a part of me that really does not care for the term fishing. The reason is fishing is putting false bait into the water, tricking fish into thinking it is real food and hooking them and yanking them out of their real home into a world where they die and actually get eaten. And Yeshua is not bait. He is real food. Now, I understand we're fishing people out of the world and into the kingdom. I get it. But we're not putting bait in. Yeshua is real food, real bread. So in that way, I don't particularly care for the fishing. And now maybe he was more thinking of nets and just gathering them and rescuing them. I, I totally understand that. But I have to say, when it comes to the, the symbolism of fishing with a hook and bait, the reality is Hasatan, Satan, has hooks all over the world, all over everything. Everything can potentially hook us. So we need to be mindful of what we are letting into our, our lives, into our homes, into our thoughts. These hooks, which are all over the place, try to hook us into immorality, into sin. And it doesn't have to be specifically, overtly idolatrous. And I will explain, because Hasatan is very crafty. So I ask you, did Megan have an occultic object in her house? I ask you that. Does anybody have an answer? Okay, we got to know. Anybody say yes? Did I have an occultic object in my house with the picture of the Washington Monument? You're entitled to your opinion, as I am entitled to mine. Let's give the clear scriptural answer on what is occultic. Because there are things that are very far removed. You know, I, we understand that an Egyptian obelisk is an occultic object when used to, to honor a false god. But the Washington Monument is, emulates that. It may not necessarily be a, an idol, but maybe it is. I don't know what's going on in Washington, D.C., right? Or what the, what, the, what the hearts of the people who built it. But now we have a mass-produced painting. And like, where do you go? How far removed before it gets ridiculous? What have you visited Washington, D.C. in the past? And my gosh, you have a picture of yourself with the Washington Monument somewhere in your house. Do we need to spin our heads searching for this stuff? I mean, what if I went to the Washington, D.C. and I actually went in the Washington Monument? Are we now in trouble with God? Do you understand that there is a level where I think it can get a little ridiculous? For me, you're entitled to your opinion as I am entitled to mine. But let's give the clear scriptural answer of what is an abomination, idolatrous abomination to God, because the Torah is actually very clear. The first thing he says is in Deuteronomy 7, 5, thus you shall do to them, this is what you shall do to them, you shall tear down their idols, I'm sorry, tear down their altars and smash their sacred pillars Bring down their Asherim, their sacred poles, and burn their graven images with fire. Second thing he says is Deuteronomy 7, 25, and 26. The images of their gods 
the images of their gods you are to burn with fire. Do not covet the silver and gold on them. Do not take it for yourself or you will be ensnared by it, hooked in by it, for it is detestable to the Lord your God and do not bring a detestable thing into your house or you like it will be set apart for destruction. Regard it as vile, utterly detest it, set it apart for destruction. So, looking at what Scripture says, what is detestable according to the Scriptures of the th- in the three verses that I read? There are three qualifications for it to be Scripture. Number, for it to be detestable, to, to, you have to put it away, get rid of it. Number one, if it is an idol itself, if it is an idol itself, Number two, the material it is made out of. You cannot burn down an idol and use it for something else. The material it is made of has, is banned. You have to put it away. And number three, things that are associated with the worship of the idol, such as it says in scriptures, it's altars, the pillars. That's where you would say that an actual obelisk needs to be banned. So the idol itself, what it is made out of, and things that are associated with the actual worship of a false god, those are the three things that need to be banned. So knowing that, does Megan's sage fall into this category? Biblically, yes. Does the mass-produced painting of the Washington Monument fall into this category? Biblically, no. But just because it doesn't fall into that narrow definition, it doesn't mean that it can't have a hook because Satan has hooks in many, many things and we need to be mindful and we need to be careful about what we are aligning our souls with and soul ties. Carol spoke to us recently here at Mishkan David that she felt led to remove objects made of crystal from her home. And I commend Carol for doing this because she was being obedient to the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit told her, you got to get rid of this, this, and this. And she was obedient to do it. And I commend Carol for her obedience. But are crystals and gemstones in general forbidden because they are used by some people in the occult, especially Wiccans for divination? Does the material itself become detestable? The answer is no. If it was used for idolatrous purposes, the material from that object is banned. You must get rid of it. It doesn't make crystal in general banned. Crystal is a natural substance. Satan does not have any ownership over God's creation any ownership over God's creation, just because some pagan used it, it doesn't make it banned the material itself. If so, you better just get rid of every tree in your backyard. And you better not go on the beach and get a sunburn because the sun is worshipped by some people. The Torah says don't take the silver and gold of the idol. It doesn't make silver and gold forbidden. How do we know this? When the Hebrews left Egypt, they took the silver and gold from the Egyptians. And it, it, it was used to actually make the Mishkan, the tabernacle. And this is gold and silver from the Egyptians. These were necklaces taken off of Egyptian women and given 
to the Israelites. I mean, how many people, if, if, they're give, if you're given a, a piece of jewelry from a pagan, said, here, take this, how many people would even take that? I'm not even sure if I would take it, but the children of Israel were commanded to take it, and they built the Mishkan out of it. God is so much bigger. He is so much bigger than these things. So the material itself, in general, crystal, gemstones, even though pagans use it, it doesn't mean it's banned. It doesn't mean the material itself is banned. So we spoke about an, like an actual thing that was used in, for occultic purposes, like the sage that Megan brought into her house. And we spoke about something that's a little far removed, like the picture of the Washington Monument. Let me give you an example of something that is um, neither. So Rabbi Peter shared with me the story. And again, I have the uh, permission to share it. When Rabbi Peter's middle son, Gabriel, was very young, he was having recurring nightmares screaming at night, night after night. And Rabbi Peter prayed about it and was looking for an answer from the Lord, and the Lord eventually told him, you have something occultic in your house. It's got to go. It's the cause. And he pressed into the Lord. It was his Dungeons & Dragons game. Now, I don't know anything about Dungeons & Dragons. I've never played it before. I know it is a fantasy role-playing game. I don't know anything about it. But I do know that Rabbi Peter was really, really into it in an early part of his life. He was a dungeon master, apparently, which is a very high level, apparently, in that game. And from what I understand from him, you, you, you develop your own, you develop a character. You, de you become the character. And you're, you lose your own identity if it hooks you in. If it hooks you in. If it hooks you in. And it hooked him in, and he knew he had to get rid of it, but it was still in his closet. So he took his Dungeons & Dragons game, and he burned it, and wouldn't you know it, the nightmares stopped. Now, I don't understand. I don't, again, I don't know Dungeons & Dragons. I do understand, like, Ouija boards and things like that. But Ra Dungeons & Dragons had a hook in Rabbi Peter. Now, is Dungeons and Dragons something that is just demonic for everybody? Or was it something that just had a hook into Rabbi Peter? You may have your opinion, as I have mine. But it is critical to know that for some people, things have a hook, and for some people, there's no hook. Listen, with bait, look, go back to the analogy with the fishing, with the bait. There's many types of bait, and certain fish like certain baits, and certain fish have no interest in other baits. And Satan has hooks everywhere. But there are hooks for us, and there is hooks for some people, and there are hooks that, that are hooks for some people. doesn't mean they're hooks for another. I asked Rabbi Peter specifically, because of his experience with Dungeons and Dragons, if he knew somebody, whether in his congregation or a friend or whoever it was, that had a Dungeons and Dragons game in his house, in their house, or was playing Dungeons and Dragons, would he say something to them? And his answer was no. Unless the person was dealing with like a manifestation. And he would say, you may have to deal with this. Listen, as far as this thing, but something may have a hook in you, but may not have a hook in another, this is reality. Listen, Susie and I, years ago, went to uh, a ministry in Georgia called Be In Health, which was life-changing for us because it spoke about and it taught us about the spiritual roots of illness. 
and we ascribe to many of these teachings today. It was a week-long course, and one day it was completely... Um, was completely devoted to the occult. And we had to repent of, like, everything. Like, it listed, like, a thousand things out there that may have a hook in you. And we just repented of everything because Susie was dealing with a, a health issue, and she's like, I'm just going to repent of everything, whether it, it pertains to me or not. I just want to make sure everything is taken care of. We had to repent of things like astrology and uh, chanting and, and using charms. And even if we didn't use these things or familiar spirits or anything new, new age, we had to repent of Freemasonry, which Susie had in her family. I mean, and, and strange things like sororities and fraternities, like apparently the soul secret society thing has a demonic, has an occultic root. And then we have to repent of Star Wars. Star Wars. And we asked the guy, like, why Star Wars? It's just a movie. Anybody here ever get hooked, like satanic hook from Star Wars? Uh, probably not, right? But there are some people that take the concept of the force with its light side and its dark side as like their own counterfeit religion. It, had a, it has a hook. If it has a hook in you, it needs to be banned and abolished. If it has a hook. But I will never tell you, stay away from Star Wars because it, has, it hooks somebody. I will not tell you to stay away from Star Wars unless the Holy Spirit is saying this guy needs to stay away from Star Wars. The point I'm trying to make is that it's for Satan has hooks in some people using some bait. He has hooks in other people using other bait. We individually need to be mindful and wise and have a strong relationship with the Holy Spirit to know what is unholy and unclean for us, but we also must know if it's unclean for us, it doesn't necessarily mean it's unclean for everybody. So we need to watch what we say to other people and how we react to other people. Abel, Pastor Abel, I was at his house on Monday night for the prayer meeting. We were talking about this subject. When he was a pastor of a church, he had to go to a house and because they were having demonic manifestations, and he saw a, a statue of a cat. And he felt in his spirit that this statue of the cat had to go. So he told the person, this statue of the cat has to go. So they got rid of it. The manifestations stopped. There was another time after that, he went to somebody else's house who was having manifestations. And wouldn't you know it, he found the exact same cat. But nothing in him said that that statue has to go. Nothing. And it wound up being something else. It's not a one-size-fits-all. What I'm saying to you, my family, is flee from idolatry. Flee from idolatry. But we have to also understand that we need to be wise as serpents and innocent as doves. Remove anything occultic, anything that was used for the occult, anything where the material that you know was used for the occult. But we don't need to walk around fearful, my God, what do I have in my house? That is not what God wants from you. We need to be careful, we need to be mindful, but there is a difference between being fearful and being mindful. And God does not want you to be fearful. There's a difference between spiritually discerning and being suspicious of everything. 
Listen, I have maintained since the beginning of being a rabbi that if you put up a Christmas tree in your house, you are not practicing paganism. You may have your opinions on that, and I am entitled to my opinion on it. And Christmas trees is something that we know has a documented root in paganism. Decorating a tree is documented to have its root in a pagan, um, a pagan exercise of worshiping trees and decorating them for that purpose. But I maintain that a Christian family who loves the Lord, who puts up a tree not to worship it or any relation to, a relationship to worshiping a false god, they are not practicing paganism. It is just a decoration. That is my opinion, and you are entitled to yours. And if the Lord has told you to remove Christmas trees from your house, you better do it. That is the answer for these things that are a little questionable. If the Holy Spirit is telling you to do it, you better do it. You have to be obedient to the Holy Spirit. Christmas in and of itself is set on a pagan holiday. Saturnalia. But I remind you and I will tell you that I do not believe that a normal, an everyday, modern-day Christian who is celebrating... Do you know how many people have been saved into a knowledge of Jesus on Christmas? What the enemy means for evil, God means for good. Our God is bigger. His plans are greater. His plans are for good, to save and to bring deliverance. This is not a one-size-fits-all thing. So, and listen, I understand. You're going to hear many preachers out there that do the one-size-fits-all teaching. Stay away from this. Stay, if you do this, you're, demo, you're d- demonic. Stay away from this, you're demonic. Stay away from this, you're demonic. Stay away from... And I get it, and I appreciate it, and I don't disagree with it if that is for that person or if that is for you. And there are many people here who don't care how removed the thing is from the original idolatrous root. People are like, look, I don't care if it's 10,000 years ago and 10,000 miles away. If there's a hint of association with it, then I don't want to touch it. And I totally, totally get that and I respect it, but I want you to understand that what is unclean for you doesn't necessarily unclean for others and we need to be close with our relationship to the Holy Spirit to know what's unclean for us and we should not and cannot judge others. We cannot judge others. In fact, if we hyper-focus on things, we miss the real idolatry in our hearts, pride and success or whatever it is. All of these things can certainly have an occultic root, and Satan can use these things. But if it's not in the biblical definition, we need to give people grace and be slow, and don't you call, go calling people witches because you found something in their house. I oppose that. We need to be careful about what we put, what we allow in our ears and in our eyes. Entertainment is not necessarily a thing, like an idol or, a, or something, that's something that's tangible. It's intangible. It's non-physical. But we still need to be mindful of what we're letting into our ears and letting, letting into our eyes because Hasatan has his roots in many things in the entertainment business. I've told this story before about I used to love the Beatles to the point of obsession. 
And people know that. When I first became a rabbi, it was like I just, I just loved to talk to people about the Beatles. I loved it. I loved to study them uh, academically because they did so many uh, innovative things back when they were creating music. Now, look, they were completely, they were all tripped out on drugs, okay? And drug usage is occultic. So I have no doubt that there's an occultic linkage in Beatles music, but for me, it didn't even affect me. So there was one person that came here, his name was Rich, and uh, he used to come here fairly frequently, he lives in Long Island, and he grew up in the 60s, like many folks maybe here did, and who grew up kind of with the Beatles. You know, he was in high school when the Beatles were on the radio, and I wanted to talk to him about it, and he goes, oh, no, 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 don't talk to me about the Beatles. And I said, why? And he said... Because the Beatles, I used to trip acid to the Beatles. I had to get rid of that. I had to demolish that. I had to break those records as if they were idols. I got rid of it. So don't talk to me about the Beatles. I said, okay. But I understood. It didn't have the hook in me. It was just music. But for him, there was a hook. Would I, have, would I tell everybody, stay away from the Beatles? No. It's between you and the Lord. And may your relationship with the Lord be strong. Stay away from sin. That will keep your relationship with the Lord strong. Stay away from immorality. Stay away from sexual immorality. Sexual immorality has its root in the occult. If you are married, do not commit adultery. If you are single, do not commit fornication. This is God's will for you. Sexual immorality is from the occult. And if you commit it willfully, it can damage your relationship with the Holy Spirit. So what about celebrations and customs? The Bible, again, is clear on what customs and things like that and celebrations we should be staying away from. Leviticus 20, 23, it says, you shall not follow the customs. It means the religious customs. It doesn't mean that if, you know, the, the world goes to a ball game, don't go to the ball game, okay? Don't follow the customs of the nation which I will drive you out, drive you out of, for they did these things and I have abhorred them. That's Leviticus 20, 23. Deuteronomy 12, 30 and 31, beware that you are not ensnared, again, there's the ensnaring, to follow them after they are destroyed, that you do not inquire after their gods, saying, how do these nations serve their gods? So I may do likewise. You shall not behave thus towards the Lord. In other words, don't emulate the religious customs of the nations, and we are forbidden to worship Adonai in the way that the nations worship their gods. But can there be nuance here where it's things are far enough removed where you're actually not worshiping God in that way? Now, there was a debate recently on our Mishpeeps site about Halloween. Thank you, Elaine. And I know there is debate about Halloween and I would say participating in Halloween is not something that God wants us to do. And I would have to say that if Susie and I had kids, I would not want my kids out trick-or-treating uh, and joining in a festival that has its roots in a pagan myth that spirits of the dead are walking around that day. But is it a sin to hand out candy when they knock on your door? What if you eat the Snickers bar that was given to you, uh, on, you know, but to your kid at school at Halloween? 
Do we need to worry about demonic attachment to the Snickers bar? Do we need to burn the Snickers bar? What if your neighbor who you like, who's a friend of yours, who's perfectly fine, not religious, not an overt pagan, just gives you some candy, do we have to be worried about this? Is the Snickers bar devoted to destruction? And are you devoted to destruction for eating the Snickers bar? You may have your opinion, and you're entitled to it, and I am entitled to mine. Yoga. Now, yoga has its roots in India, where uh, the one who practices yoga connects with uh, the supernatural through poses and meditation. In these days, some of those poses are used for stretching and exercising. Now, during yoga, you seek to connect with God through these poses. Doing yoga and connecting to a false god is clearly against Torah. Doing yoga and seeking to connect with God through your poses and your meditations as you, that the poses provide is against Torah. We are not supposed to worship the Lord in the way that the pagans do. It's against Torah. But what if you're just doing the exercises? Again, you're going to hear these fiery teachers that will say, stay away from this, and it sounds really authoritative and kind of really scary. Okay? Let me give you a personal example. I have a little lower back issue where, you ever have a lower back problem where you kind of go and you pick up like a sock, like something like nothing, and all of a sudden your lower back goes, <laughs> it spasms, and then you kind of laid out for like two weeks? Well, my back, my lower back is susceptible to that. And what I need to do to remedy that is to keep my core strong. I have to keep my core strong. If I do not keep my core strong, my back is susceptible to being thrown out. So I don't want that to happen. So this is one of the reasons why Susie and I go to the gym. And we're very, we go to the gym very frequently and we take classes. We do not take yoga classes together, but we do go to the gym and take classes where I'm doing ab exercises that are probably as, as close to hell on earth as you can ever imagine. Okay, like these terrible sit-ups and all these different incarnations of sit-ups, which are dreadful. But one thing that is really good for my lower back is laying on my stomach and keeping my lower, uh, lower part of my body down on the floor and raising up um, with my hands. So the top part of my body is raised up while the lower part is still on the floor. It's very, very good for my lower back. It also happens to be a very popular yoga move called an upward dog. So I ask you, when I stretch out my back using that, that stretch, am I invoking demons? Am I, um, am I aligning with evil spirits? You are entitled to your opinion. And I am entitled to mine. And by the way, I'm leaving a lot of these questions open-ended intentionally. I'm not leaving it open-ended for what the Bible says but for these areas of nuance and these areas of, well, is it, I have to leave it to the worshiper and the Holy Spirit. So, when to know that you have something occultic? Because you may hear this and be like, oh my God, do I gotta like search my house? Do I need to just, what's going on? Do I, what if I have this or what if I have that? And what if I have this, you know, what do I do? You know, and you might be, you might think, oh my gosh, I got it, I'm, feeling fearful right now. So when to know that you have something that needs to be done away with? When to know it? Number one, if the Holy Spirit tells you so. 
Number one, if the Holy Spirit tells you so. I repeat, strengthen your relationship with the Holy Spirit by living a righteous life and fleeing from sin. If you live an intentional life of sin, if you are overtly, intentionally sinning, it can limit the way you're hearing the Holy Spirit and you could be susceptible to these things. Strengthen your relationship with God and flee from sin and flee from sexual immorality, which has its root in the occult. That's number one. If the Holy Spirit tells you to get rid of something, you got to get rid of it. And be obedient to that and be quick about it. Number two, if somebody has spiritual authority over you to, and guide you this way, you should listen, even if you disagree. Here's a little part of the message I left out until now. Remember the, the rabbi, the messianic rabbi and his wife that came to my house and said, you got to get rid of the Washington Monument? You know who it was? Rabbi Peter. And that's why I got rid of it because he is my spiritual covering. I didn't need to necessarily agree with what it was, but God will always honor obedience. He will always honor submission to authority. He will always honor submission to authority because that is the nature of the Messiah who submitted himself to authorities even unto death. Submit to child, submit to parents, wives, submit to husbands, submit to God, submit to government authorities. It doesn't matter if they're good or bad. God will always honor submission. It is a godly trait. Rebellion is witchcraft, according to the scripture. Sometimes God will allow the, a demonic manifestation in your house. And I will always use this term when it comes to talking about the enemy, Hasatan, that God will allow it. Because I believe so strongly Satan has no power unto himself. God, if Satan is doing something, it means that God is allowing it. Or it mean, and it means the person who's, who's receiving this demonic attack has allowed it in his or her life. But God is the one saying to Satan, okay, you can do this and you can go this far and you can go no further. If God does not have complete control over Satan, then he's not God. He has complete control over Satan. And that always encourages me if I'm dealing with something that I don't need to be so fearful. I can say, okay, God, what in me needs to change? Let's, work, let's, let, let's reason together. Let's work on this together. So he may allow a manifestation in your home. Here is another example. Uh, how many people here remember Florence? Five people out of the whole congregation. So Florence has been at Mishkan David. She's passed away. Uh, she's of blessed memory. She passed away maybe two, three years ago, I mean two years ago or so. And she's been at Mishkan David since the beginning of Mishkan David and even before that at Beit Tehiyah in, um, in Massachusetts. And we used to call her the bishop. And she hated it. She hated being called the bishop. She said, call me an overseer. Don't call me the bishop. But anyway, she was a big part of our congregation, prayer warrior. So she was having demonic manifestations in her house. So she called Rabbi Peter, and Rabbi Peter went over there, and he saw a statue of Cleopatra. And Cleopatra, if you don't know, she was an Egyptian ruler, I think like a generation or so before the time of Yeshua. She was a contemporary of Alexander the Great. And there was a statue, and Rabbi Peter didn't think anything of it, but he said, listen, Florence, I don't know if this is anything. It's not like I'm getting this big revelation from the Lord, but you got the statue of this Egyptian ruler in the house. Y you may want to think if this really should be in your house. So she got rid of it. 
and the manifestations stopped. So God may allow Satan to manifest in your house, just like with Megan, with the, um, with the sage. So if so, that's when we need to seek counsel and seek the Lord on what might be going on in your house. Now, what if you don't know? What if you're like, okay, I mean, I have a whole bunch of things in my house. I don't know if it's demonic. I don't know if it's not. I don't know if God wants me to get rid of it. I don't want to get rid of everything. The answer to that is actually in the scriptures. As far as not fearing these things and not being hyper obsessed about it, the scripture actually have an, has an answer and it's in the New Testament. And the, 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 the topic in the New Testament is meat sacrificed to idols. And by the way, this is the biblical answer to the Halloween candy question, by the way, because Halloween candy is like, okay, this is food that might be used for occultic purposes, and in the scriptures it talks about meat that was actually sacrificed to idols. So this is actually the answer, the Halloween candy biblical answer. First Corinthians, this is like, do we worry about it? Do we not worry about it? Here is the answer from Rabbi Paul, Rav Shaul, Paul. First Corinthians 10, 25 to 28. He is telling these people, the Corinthians, eat anything that is sold in the meat market without asking questions for conscience sake. For the earth is the Lord and all it contains. If one of the unbelievers invites you and you want to go, eat anything that is set before you without asking questions. But if anyone says to you, this is meat sacrificed to idols. Do not eat it. Do you understand what he's saying here? If you don't know, he doesn't want you to hyper-focus or worry about it or fear about it. Greater is he that is in you than he who is in the world. Be careful. Know that the spiritual realm, realm is... Listen, even when I buy a new talit... Or like anointing oil, I, I wave it before the Lord. I don't know who created them. So I wave it. I dedicate it to the Lord. I wave it before the Lord. I dedicate it to his service. But if you keep your relationship with the Holy Spirit strong and sinless, he will let you know. God is not in the business of just playing games with you and making you fearful and holding you accountable for things you don't even know about. And I repeat, do not judge others. Because you who judge others may be being hooked in in other areas. You who judge others for doing yoga because their doctor prescribes certain stretches. You who judge others for that, do you take pharmaceutical medicine? Do you know that pharmaceutical medicine has its root in witchcraft? All of it? Do you know that in the Bible, the Greek word for witchcraft in the New Testament is pharmakia? Tell me why it's not hypocritical to judge somebody else's activities but take pharmaceutical medicine yourself. And I am not telling you to get off your medicine. I am not. I'm telling you not to judge others. Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. Be not quick to judge others and don't be quick to declare others as unclean. Remember, the spirit of Yeshua 
doesn't flee from the unclean. He uses his purity to cleanse the unclean. He let the leper touch him. He let the woman with the issue of blood touch him. He uses his purity to cleanse, not to back away. Do you have the spirit of Yeshua within you or do you have a spirit of the Pharisees within you? You who judge others for their uncleanliness. I admonish you this day in that. You who judge objects in people's homes, do you still celebrate with a Christmas tree? Please tell me why it's different. Because I don't see the difference. Do not judge. And I want to say to all of you that God is not displeased with you wherever you are on this journey. There are three types of kings in the Bible, in the books of Kings, in the books of Chronicles. There are, ki- there are kings like uh, Ahab and Manasseh, who were evil kings, they actually intentionally set up high places. They set up pagan worship. They erected pagan altars and pillars and forced the people to worship idols. They did evil. Then there were kings like Josiah and Hezekiah that eradicated pagan worship through and through and destroyed all the high places. May we be like Josiah and Hezekiah. But there were many other kings. There were kings like Asa. It says verse, in 1 Kings 15, 14, I'll start with verse 11. Asa did was right in the sight of the Lord like David his father. And then verse 14, but the high places were not taken away. Nevertheless, the heart of Asa was wholly devoted to the Lord all his days. If you're not actively participating in in idolatrous worship and you believe in the Lord, God is pleased with you. And I will say that God cares so much more about our hearts and the high places in our hearts. Listen, we have, you ever looked at our dollar bill lately? We carry around pagan symbols all the time. Take a look at our dollar bill with the Egyptian pyramid with the floating sea and eye, seeing eye, with the floating sea, all-seeing eye. Yeah, and, and where it says on the bottom, it's the new order of the ages, which is actually taken from a poem that glorifies the, goddess, the god Saturn. We carry that in our pockets all the time. I can tell you right now that God is not angry at you for carrying a dollar bill in your pocket. He would be angry at you if money... Spirit of money hooks you in. If it's a heart issue, if you have a soul tie with money. I gave a message recently about how I had to get rid of this, the show Shark Tank because there's this little part of me that just wants to be a gazillionaire. And when I see on Shark Tank, you know, Mark Cuban, you know, offering hundreds of thousands of dollars to these little kids, I was starting to get really upset. And then all of a sudden the Lord said, when you watch, to me, when you watch Shark Tank, You're not feeding the spirit. You're feeding a demon. And I had to get rid of Shark Tank. Would I then tell people Shark Tank is demonic? Don't ever watch it? No. It was a hook in me. May we all have a relationship with the Holy Spirit when we know what is out there that is hooking us. We have high places in our hearts. 
That's what God wants us to really focus on. So I believe this is a good topic as we close out Elul. Um, This is uh, Elul 28. Tomorrow is the last day of the month of Elul, Elul 29, and then we hit the first day of the Um, of the new year 5780 Rosh Hashanah, and we enter into the 10 days of awe between Rosh Hashanah and the Day of Atonement, Yom Kippur. This is the season when we seek God and we ask God to cleanse us from idols. All soul ties, occultic alliances within us. So Father, in the name of Yeshua, we come before you, Lord God, in this time and in this hour, and we repent. Anybody want to repeat after me? We repent of our alignments with unholy things. We repent of allowing things of the occult into our homes, into our eyes, into our ears, and having soul ties with evil things. We repent and renounce any soul ties we have, any alignments we have. We repent of angel worship, of alignment with apparitions and ghosts, of astrology, of aura reading, of chanting and mantras, of using charms to connect with you, of any Eastern spirituality, of divination, of tarot cards, of fortune-telling, of tea-leaf reading, of palm reading. We repent of drug trips, familiar spirits, necromancy. Do you know how easy it is to be necromantic, to connect with the dead? I'll tell you, I visited my father's grave recently, in Long Island, you know how easy is it to go when you're visiting the grave of a loved one and go, hi, Dad? You know how easy it is to do that? There's hooks everywhere. We repent of humanism, of hypnotism, magic, of using mediums, of new age, of using a Ouija board, of of receiving psychic readings, of belief in reincarnation, of using spirit guides, of having statues of idols, of being superstitious, voodoo, and all sorts of witchcraft. Thank you. So, Father, we come before you today as we end the year, as we begin 5780. We ask you, Adonai, to cleanse our hearts, purify our houses, reveal to us. We give you permission to reveal to us what needs to go. We give you full permission to reveal to us what needs to go in our house and most importantly in our hearts. Is our heart soul tied with something that is of the other kingdom? Father, we give you permission and we ask you, we implore you to implore you, Lord God, to reveal it to us so we can break those ties of anything that is not of the kingdom. We put away sin and we put away idolatry. Adonai, this year, and help us to do this, Lord God. We seek a home as we are getting closer and closer to the coming of the Son of God. We seek a home that is purified and a heart that is purified. 
and we repent, Adonai, for any times that we have unrightfully judged others who are on their own journey and walk, walking out their own salvation with fear and trembling. Help us, Adonai, to strengthen our relationship with you, strengthen our relationship with the Holy Spirit, be there for our friends, but always know that the Spirit of Yeshua covers sins, does not expose sins, and doesn't run away from the unclean, but cleans the unclean. Have, we want the Son of God living within us and his Spirit. In the name of Yeshua HaMashiach, Jesus the Messiah, amen.